BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of The Bad Broadcast. Sorry if it is a little bit echoey. This is just like a 20-second intro before we get started. This is my episode with my brother, Chad. We recorded last week, so I'm just doing a little thing before because we were chatting and then the episode starts at a really weird spot. So Chad is my oldest brother. There are, let's see, six siblings in between us. We are 13 years apart. And Chad is known to most people as Lord Birthday. So if you want to follow him on Instagram, I know a lot of you already do. This has been a very highly requested episode. So I hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. And here is my interview with Chad. Well, I'm going to try and uh, summarize your life steps, how I remember them, and you correct me where I'm wrong. Okay. okay? All right. So you graduated, went to BYU. Yep. Or Yeah, graduated high school, went on an LDS mission to Japan, went to BYU. Then you went to University of Chicago yes. for your master's, uh-huh. right? Yep. yep. And then ended up getting your PhD at Penn State. At Penn State, yep. And now you are a professor of not sure what, but you are a professor... Mm-hmm. At Oregon State. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you teach? So I am, it, the field is called management. I mean, it's an, I'm in a business school. Mm-hmm. So management is Sounds fake, but technically, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so broad. It's one of those fields that's sort of like education. Yeah. Right? It sounds like it, I mean, it can, it's not clear exactly what, what that is. So right. um, yeah, what do I teach? I teach uh, basically classes on, it's organizational behavior, but it's like psychology in Organization, so right. psychology of work and things like that. Gotcha. Um, so it's a lot of psychology, a lot of sociology, but it's applied to like, you know, careers and right. work and stuff like that. Okay. So how did you end up? I mean, this is the number one most asked question that I yeah. got. You probably get a lot. How'd you end up doing that? And then now your Lord birthday. <laughs> and how yeah. do you, how do you yeah. define Lord birthday? Um, how did I end up? So is the question like, because it seems like such a left turn, like how yeah, is this I mean, even compatible? Yeah, but the thing is, is that I feel like for us, for people who know you, it's yeah. not really that, it's not that weird at all. Yeah. But for people who are like, oh, you are like in, you know, academia and you teach at a really cool college and now you you do li- <laughs> limericks. <laughs> limericks. The fable master. Yeah. Like how... Yeah. The limericks. Yeah. And I think another thing that people don't know is that we didn't know you were Lord Birthday for a long time. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff in there. Um, Let me think how to um, address it. I mean, 
Yeah, I think, um, hmm, I don't even know where to start with it. What, what do you remember being like the first step of like, oh, I'm going to start a kind of creative outlet? Well, I mean, so at BYU and at Chicago, I was I was in the humanities. So I was, um, it was comparative literature, majored in Japanese literature at BYU, Japanese language and literature, and English. So I was uh, really interested in, you know, um, literary criticism and literature, trying to study literature. I wasn't thinking of writing it or mm-hmm. doing anything related to it, but I was... Yeah, I mean, I'd always been interested in it and was interested in trying to do it professionally and going to graduate school for it. So that's what I did at Chicago. Chicago was a kind of interdisciplinary humanity, interdisciplinary humanities degree, but it was a lot of liter- literature courses, a lot of um, uh, sort of literary theory courses and stuff. And so mm-hmm. I was sort of at that time got a little bit disillusioned with that also as like a career option. It just felt like... I didn't know if I could keep doing that for very long. Also, a PhD in that field takes like 10 years. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to write short stories <clears throat> on, my, on my own. Um, this is about 2008. And I was applying to PhD programs in comparative literature. And this was right during the financial crisis. So it was like that fall. Yeah. I applied to a bunch of them. I got into one, which was a really good comparative literature PhD program. Where at? At uh, UC Irvine. Oh, okay. So it was one of the best complet programs, and then they told me they lost all their funding. So, because of the financial crisis, like right. the, all the universities were in trouble. So I, that just kind of like stopped that path. I had applied to business school PhD programs, kind of as a backup. I I didn't know much about it. And I didn't think I'd get in to any of these places, and I yeah sort of luckily did. But I guess my point is, I was always uh, trying to write creatively and trying to think about. Um, things I could do in a kind of a short format. Mm-hmm. And while I was at Penn State, I started getting interested in, in you know, you're doing a lot of writing. I mean, it's just a, a professor's job is more writing than it seems. I mean, if, you, if you're a research professor, you're doing a ton of writing. Right. You're writing research papers. That's a big part of your job. So I was, I was always writing and I was always thinking about types of writing. And so I got into humor writing, just reading about it and trying to understand it while I was at Penn State. So that was just something I was really interested in and kind of the, the mechanics of humor writing. And, and um, I read a, you know, a few books about it and just was kind of practicing on my own. So yeah. there's this thread that, you know, in terms of creative pursuits had always been there. I mean, specifically in terms of like writing and kind of creating short form yeah. kind of humorous things. Um, yeah. and, and earlier in... Your life, you were always into music. You were always in bands and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So music was it was the main thing for a long time, and I mean, I think I think that eventually kind of ran its course. I mean, that's a whole different story. I I kind of had to let go of that, I think, to, in order to try yeah. something else and to uh-huh. figure out I was probably better suited to do something else. So, um, and I mean, I was mostly interested in writing lyrics, which is a very similar kind of practice to a lot of the Lord Birthday stuff. There's a kind of Kind of a, yeah, like a rhythm to them. There's a rhythm, and there's yeah, yeah the, for sure. So um, th- there's a lot of threads that kind of like lead to doing that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when it started, yeah, I mean, I started it started it anonymously. I guess this was fall of 2015. It's almost yeah. been six years. It feels like I've been doing it for 35 years. <laughs> I mean, hey, and this is correct me if I'm wrong. Was this when 
uh, you were in Vancouver, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I I was in Vancouver with you, you were, guys. Yeah. I was watching uh-huh. your kids. <laughs> yeah. While you were in Vancouver. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah, you were there, and that was um, it was that trip. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were, I mean, here's what here's what people ask me, and what I always ask people who do stuff like this is like, could you see what it was like down the road, and you were like. For me, I like don't want to explain what I'm doing. I just know that it'll it'll work if people will just give me a sec to like get it all laid out. Yeah. Did you feel that way with Lord Birthday? Like just give me like you didn't want to have to be like, hey everybody, I'm starting this now and this is and kind of explaining it. You just wanted to put it out there and let it kind of take. Oh, that's a good question. Um yeah, I guess so is your question did, could I tell from the beginning if it was working? Well, could you tell from the beginning and like yeah, kind of did you have like a vision of it of what it could be? Yeah. But the anonymous part, like I wish I could have done stuff anonymously to just have like f- like creative freedom a little bit. Right. And right. just not have to explain yourself to right. anybody. Right, right, right. I think that was the main motivation was was um I could – this was one of those weird cases where I, I I sort of do believe that if you're in the right medium and you've you've sort of figured out – you know, like for whatever reason, when you start it, your voice just seems to kind of naturally yeah. fit. Uh-huh. Whatever your creative voice is, it just seems to kind of like – you can tell it, it's a good fit and, and you don't even need feedback from other people yeah, you know, to yeah, tell yeah. you that. You're just like, ah, this feels natural to me. I kind of get it. I get how this works. I could kind of tell that where it was going to go. Um, and I actually was I really vivid memory of listening to um, Song Exploder. You know that podcast? No. Where they oh, break yeah, down, where they break down lyrics. Yeah, yeah different yeah, yeah. songs and stuff. There was somebody on there. She had been um, Dirty Projectors. She was one of the a member of the Dirty Projectors, and she uh-huh. had a solo album that she was putting out. And I remember listening to her interview. I can't recall her name right now, but... Um, she had talked about, you know, this feeling when something's working that you just know it's going to connect or it's going to click and it's going to work. Right. And you can kind of see the future in a weird way. You can kind of tell that something's going to happen with it. And yeah. that had never happened to me. I mean, that never happened to me with music. It had never happened to me with anything else. But what, like the first time I started even doodling and trying to put text to it. I could tell that it was it was working, yeah. which is a weird, is a really weird experience. No, totally, totally. Well, that's what I was wondering. I was going to ask you too about e- even seeing. It's been fun seeing your trajectories as you've been doing things too, because like even with the podcast, it's it's to me it's so clearly like a natural fit for you, and like intrinsically, right. do you feel that? Like, what are the things that have felt that way to you so far? I guess I'm interviewing you. No, it's great. It's great. This is this was a question that people had is like how, what it was what it's like for you to watch me do something like this yeah, as an older yeah. sibling. Um, well, what I think. Well, I was before I answer that the anonymous thing. So, oh, yeah. so you didn't tell any of us that you were Lord Birthday until you ended up getting a book deal and you kind of had to tell us. Yeah. <laughs> you kind yeah. of had to tell yeah. us. But I think that through so through my process of starting the podcast and doing stuff on Instagram, I think when I first started, I uh really really needed my siblings approval. Like mm-hmm. I really wanted every all of my brothers to really like it. I wanted mom and dad to really like it. I wanted to make sure that like everybody was on board and thought it was really cool and kind of now mm-hmm. as I've found my like footing in it a little bit, I don't yeah. think about that as often, <laughs> which is which yeah. is good. It's healthy yeah. because I think at the beginning it was not healthy. I, it held me back from doing things 
like when I was younger because I was like, well, what if my family thinks it's stupid or whatever? Not that that would even happen, but I just, you know, really respect my siblings. I think that everybody kind of has a creative part to them. So I wanted them to like my creative stuff, Oh yeah. but it does, it is kind of a weird sense of independence to do this and not like, I don't know. I don't know if that comes off right, but I just, I, I hear what you're saying. I used to really, really worry about that. If my siblings would think it was cool or if they would be like, we need to, so we need to tell Maddie you, this is not working. Well, I'm what, yeah, how do we, we need an intervention. Yeah, like how, who's going to call her and like let her know this is not going well. Well, how much, I, I wonder how much of that is, is a, is a youngest sibling thing or how much of it is a gendered thing, right? I mean, totally. Like that oh, totally. distribution, obviously, like, or maybe those are inseparable for you, but how much, is, I'm just curious where that comes from yeah i think a lot of it is um i think a lot of it is youngest sibling i'm sure a lot of it is female the only female sibling yeah you know not having any sisters not having anybody who was like kind of doing what i was doing and just kind of having decided having to decide to do it but um yeah the youngest sibling thing I don't know. I think I just always, I always felt, it's so funny when I say this because I feel like I say this to my siblings and they're like, what in the world? But I always felt like everybody had a thing. You know, Mm -hmm. everybody had like a defining quality about them, like a thing that Mm -hmm. they did. You know, they had a sport or like a career or they were in school for something or whatever. But then like my talent was like being the only girl. Like it was like, (laughs) and Maddie, and she's our only girl. And (laughs) like, I didn't really have a thing. I I was always really jealous of that with all the, all the siblings. Did you feel that way? Did you feel like everybody had a thing? Um, I get, I guess so. I mean, I guess so. But the, the thing that starts to become clear, especially as people, everyone gets older is like, those are just sort of labels and and categories that, uh, you know, we use to kind of make sense of a big family, I think. Yeah. You know, yeah. everyone gets slotted into a certain spot and you're like, they're the sort of, you know, visual artist. Yeah. That person is the Lawyer. funny one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that person's the serious one. That one's the, you know, that person's the funny one on the family text thread or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I think those boxes are really more flexible than they seem. And they often, I felt that actually that did hold me back some when I was for a long time. I mean, I, I knew I defined myself primarily in terms of music. I knew other people knew me for that from yeah. like being at BYU and being in bands. And I, th- I think that kept me constrained quite a bit because yeah. I, I felt like, you know, I was already <laughs> invested in that and that was how I was known. Yeah. And I needed to kind of like make that work. But in 2014, early 2015 is when I eventually just gave up. I mean, I I, I was recording a lot of stuff on my own, and I just was like, this isn't really working. I mean, there's nothing really special about this is is kind of what I had to accept. And that... Uh, With music? Yeah. 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 Like, I was technically good at it, and I could write songs, and I could, you know, and friends and family liked it, and there was a kind of, like... Uh, assumption that that was my thing. Yeah. That was really hard to let go of actually and I I got to a place of it's kind of a depressing place where you you know it coincided with with not going to church <laughs> anymore yeah. and yeah. so there was a lot of just sort of identities that I'd I'd been attached to that I that kind of fell away and what was weird was when that happened was when Lord Birthday emerged. There was like a truer yeah. version of what I could do creatively that was in there, but I, yeah. I, I couldn't access. Did you have any uh, other names for Lord Birthday? Like, did you have a short list? Um, let's see. Or let's like see. That you, things that you almost named it or like you started. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, I, I wasn't thinking of it being a kind of, 
character-based thing in the beginning. There was like a, a persona. Yeah. I was first. I was thinking. I mean, one. Um, gosh, what were they? There was like, you know, I was trying to think about satire and just humor writing in general, and so there yeah. was just this concept, sort of concept. Well, of, and with with humor writing, and you and I have talked about this before, like the way. Because people are like, Lord, why is it? Why is it birthday? Why is it Lord? And it's like, well, sometimes it's about how the two words sound together, and yeah. it's less about, you know, because like, yeah, like it makes sense to say Lord Birthday, you know, like yeah. all the words kind of yeah. make sense together, which I think that people don't realize is a big part of like what you do and what you write. A lot of times, it's yeah. like it seems nonsensical, but the rhythm in it and kind of the how the words sound together. Is yes. why it's why it's funny. It's not like you read everything and it's like makes. I mean, obviously, if you look at Lord Birthday, it does seem kind of nonsensical. Yes, and so so that that's a really great point, and there's a lot to to kind of unpack in that. But uh, the rhythm of the name. I mean, if you remember, gosh, Mister Rogers' Neighborhood, yeah, so the land of make believe. There's a yeah. King Friday. Oh. So King Friday was a sort of you know, a template. And I remember hearing that name. I think I was watching that with our kids at the time. They were yeah. like, I was showing them old, like the operas they used to do yeah. on Mr. Rogers, which are amazing. But I was, I had that rhythm in mind, but really um, it was on the train coming back from Vancouver. I think you were, you had driven home. Yeah. Or driven to, back to Oregon. And flown home, yeah. And I was on the train coming back and I was just, doodling and writing down different word combinations because I guess the answer to answer your question, there was no other name. It, when I thought of the name is when it all started. Yeah. Because it, it comes out of the name in so many ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it is the rhythm of the words, but it's also, and this is another huge turning point when I f- realized what it was going to be is I realized that for me, however my brain is is wired and the way I think about these things, writing I started to understand that I see writing as a visual art mm. instead of, I don't know, something sort of rhythm and sound based. I, I had for yeah. a long time thought of it that way. But then I started realizing that when words, for me, I can think best about them visually and putting different so, words together visually. That is like such a... Uh, concept that makes so much sense to me because I feel that same way about when I read I have a I like am obsessed with um typography yeah you know yeah. like I will just spend yeah. out there's this website that I found I will just scroll and I will buy fonts like I will yes. just spend money on fonts just to type the same word over and over like yeah. but it's just that it like it just it makes so much sense but I've never thought of that that your words are because do you do you have to format them in a way where like certain uh, you know, serifs or whatever hit in a certain place. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, the the um, what I was doing in the beginning and why it was anonymous was I I wanted to experiment and I could tell that it was going to be a visual thing and the writing would function as any other piece of the drawing. Yeah. Word. Like yeah. the writing is is inseparable from the image and so and they sort of work together in certain ways and there's contrast between the two that makes it work sometimes like yeah. the, the drawings are scratchy and bad especially in the beginning i mean they're always bad but do you do it on an ipad or how do no, you in the beginning in the beginning i was like just ink and paper and a really cheap scanner really and huh? i was assembling them all in like paint and it would take me <laughs> 
forever because I didn't know anything about the software. Yeah. And I didn't understand. Like, the images were all messed up. And when I had to make the first book, it was kind of a nightmare because I had to reformat a bunch of things. Yeah. Yeah, I was writing. So I could tell, um, you know, there was just little short bits of text and there'd be an image. But, like, the font choice matters a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. From the beginning... I started learning that, like, the font it determines how this sounds to people. Yeah. Because it's a visual, it's an oral process, but it's it's also, you first encounter it visually. And certain words visually, when they're put together, are going to be funny. Yeah. They're just going to appear funny. They're going to look funny. And there's something about how they look together that's going to be funny. So that's what a lot of it was in the beginning, was just experimenting with different word combinations that look funny. And then I'd try to remember why or think hard about like why is that funny yeah why does you know the word foot for example yeah like in a sentence when you see the word foot or a word like corn yeah or ball <laughs> yeah like these these words like create this kind of humorous experience and it's it was really mysterious to me in the beginning like why certain words would do that because it, it wasn't to your other point about when people read it and it feels nonsensical I've learned also some people read for content. They're they're not looking at the form of what's written. Yeah. That's not how they experience it. Mm-hmm. They're just reading the literal meaning of the words. And you're like, don't do that. <laughs> and you're a lot of, I mean, sometimes it's going to work, but in other cases, or it's going to make some kind of sense. But yeah. it's largely the visual experience of the form. Can you think of one, uh, your favorite illustration or like piece that, you, um, that either you felt the best about or that you love the most still? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, it's it's changed quite a bit over time. I mean, you know, in the beginning was mostly these things of talking about these kind of visual word, right. text, drawing pairings mm-hmm. um, that didn't really make any sense. They were just these strange, abstract kind of things. Yeah. Um, I think the thing most recently, the things I miss so much from almost a year ago there's very little drawing in it. It's almost all text. And I did sort of a video collage version of it that I, I liked how that turned out. But I think that one is a newer sort of version of the voice because it's it's more sincere, but it's also got um, a little bit of absurdity baked into it. Right. But I I mean, that, that probably comes to mind. When did you – how fast did it grow? Um, the, ins- the Instagram. Instagram, was, yeah. The ins- did you feel like it was taking off faster than you thought? Uh, so, okay, so the fall of 2015 was the first stuff. It didn't go very quickly for, I mean, probably a year later I, when I shifted to more text, yeah, which was sort of uh, counterintuitive. I, I was assuming I need to make stuff that's really short and snappy and like easy to consume. When I shifted to more advice-based, like text, yeah, that was when it started getting a lot more traction, a lot faster. Right, right. So it took about a probably a year, and I did quite a bit in that year. And then um, when I started doing the more advice-based stuff, was when like the publisher reached out. That's when they started kind of getting um, more attention, I guess. Right, right. Okay, um, I'm gonna ask you. So, so that well, that's I wanted to hear. It. LB's origin story yeah. for your future, yeah. uh, you know, origin movie. Yes. Um, 
but now I'm going to ask you some of these questions. So you posted that you went to BYU and that you had served a mission and people were like, wait, what? What's going on? You know, (laughs) who are you? Are you in this? Are you in the 70s? What's your calling? Are you 60 years old? Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that a lot of people don't expect you to be like a 40-year-old white guy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, okay. So those are huge uh, domains. Yeah. We can talk about all of them because... Yeah. um, Talk about your identity as a man and your identity as a (laughs) a Mormon. (laughs) Yeah. Let me wrap... If you could just say that in like a sentence or two. Yeah. Let me get this... Yeah. Let me cram all this in. Um, Yeah. The first part of that identity as a man, I mean, or who I am as a person. I mean, this goes to actually one thing I was going to mention, you know, misconceptions, because a lot of the questions I get are completely, you know, just like not connected to reality. I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, who do you think I am? Why is this the question you're asking me? Um, you know, the Invisibilia episode from a few years ago talked about some of this stuff, but yeah, it didn't really that. give a full full picture. So the, one of the biggest misconceptions, and this is related, is uh, when people think I'm being serious or I'm being satirical, you know, like I'm, yeah. I'm doing one or the other. It's like, like, do you mean, are you being serious or are you just like kind of being funny? Yeah. The fact, like, there's a misconception that is one or the other. I mean, the there is a way in which, like, my creative written voice, there's a real ambiguity there. And I would even refer to it as, a, as there's a kind of gendered ambiguity that, like... Yeah. It, it, and I don't, I don't know what to attribute this to. This was really confusing to me personally in the beginning. When I started, right at the beginning, when I started doing Lord Birthday, it was immediately obvious that far more women were uh, following me. Um, many, many queer people were following me. It was like, it, it was, and they tended to be younger people. So people a lot younger than me. And this was when I was anonymous, so that it was just all it was was my written voice. And I, it was, it, honestly, it was really perplexing to me. Like, there was an identity kind of, like, disorientation. Right. Where it was like, okay, I, you know, like, I'm a man, right? <laughs> like, and <laughs> yeah. I have a man's view of the world, I think. And I, like, move through the world as a man, man. Like, I'm big and I'm tall. Yeah. And when I sit down to make things, what comes out I could tell the way people were like DMing me or interacting with me was they thought I was a woman. Yeah. I mean, that was like very obvious still, like in my demographics, it's 72% women that yeah. follow birthday. And, and that has been a process of understanding, like, you know, that there's, there's something to me that resonates with this sort of perspective on the world. That's not hyper masculine. Yeah. Like and a it, more feminine there's something more feminine. And so then people have asked if I'm gay and I'm like, I've had to think about a lot of this stuff, to be honest, because it is not clear to me, like when people don't know who you are and you're making things that feel true to who you are, but, and and you're making things that are relatable and the people that relate to it are, are women um, almost entirely, you know, that, that is something I don't know quite how to make sense of. Right. Because I, and and a lot of people in the beginning when i was anonymous and soon after when they would they wanted to guess who i was or who they who i they thought i was you're like 40 year old white mormon yeah, I'm like, guy no, named I'm a chad year old white guy <laughs> named chad and they're like i swear i thought you were a 23 year old woman yeah. in los angeles and i'm like well i'm thank you for the compliment i mean yeah. like i'm i'm glad you know that there's a kind of like the alternative would be tough for me. Oh, it was like yeah. all dudes. Yeah, if they were like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, dude, like this is like, you're totally get me. Like it's a guy's 
like thing you're making here. Yeah. Um, well, it's like it seems like a really vulnerable because I know that you started this right about the time you were stepping away from the LDS church. Yeah. And then to deal with that is like a huge identity thing kind of in front of people, but not because you're anonymous, but it's also your art, which is like the most vulnerable thing you can do yeah. in the world. And yeah, it was yeah. confusing. It was, it was, it was really confusing. Yeah. You, you have these, we have these narratives about who we are, right? Yeah. And they're often rooted in the role that we're given. Yeah. And, and uh, as a man in a, in a, pretty conservative church yeah you take on a role and as a father you're given a role that that suggests that you are you're a kind of you know very masculine or you should be yeah a very masculine kind of like protector and you know you're you're very emotionally stable mm-hmm. and you're kind of like the the rock yeah. of the family i mean a lot of my characteristics are, are not that i mean they're more stereotypically uh feminine and, and it you know, it is it is something that comes out in the the aesthetic of the stuff that I make. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding that, like, up to this point, we've only really understood these kind of, like, you, you know, if you don't conform to a certain role expectation, we often the first place you go to is sexual orientation. Yeah. But I, I'm fascinated by gender and gender identity. I mean, this is, I think, like, we're starting to become uh, this is a more mainstream topic and yeah. everyone's trying to think more about it because it I think there's another level here which is I don't understand very well and is not very well understood uh, you know sort of in you know public discourse yet but um yeah it has it's really been interesting because uh y- you know yeah that's been the assumption if you're feminine is and you're a man and you're yeah. male and you identify as a man then it's like well you must be a gay man yeah it's like well, uh, no, not necessarily. No. Yeah, not necessarily. Well, and you, that's the thing is that it's like then you get into all of these men who like, well, hold on. Let me back up. I'm thinking of uh, Natalie Portman was just on Arm Tracks. I don't know if you ever yeah, listen to that. Uh-huh. But she was talking about how her husband is French. And when he came to America, he could only ever hang out with gay men because oh, they were the only ones who were okay saying like, yeah, I like art. I like music. I like theater. I like, the, he was like, I've never been able to find a straight man who will be okay saying, yeah, I like theater. You know, it's even right. those little things. And I think it's compounded by, yeah, a conservative church and that there's so many, you know, LDS people here that it's hard for men to step outside of their masculinity for sure and and be okay saying oh i don't like things that are maybe typically masculine that's what's con- interesting to me is there is a it, it's because i was raised in a very conservative culture a very conservative religion that and and physically just how i appear like yeah. this is the assumption about who i am yeah there's another piece of me though that is is it really strongly you know kind of contradicts my physical appearance yeah and that um you know, I think that that's what's so interesting about identity on this level is like we aren't all just we aren't all just one thing. We aren't as we appear yeah. often. Like and the inner the intersectionality of it. Is yes, that what you mean? there's yeah. a lot of different kind of components to that. Do you feel like because how I kind of describe our parents' dynamic is like our mom is the authority in our family. Yeah. You know, she yeah. she handles everything. She plans everything. She pays for everything. You know, it's and but dad while dad is like the earner, you mm-hmm. know, which is like kind of typical for a for a conservative household, he is a he's much more quiet, much more agreeable. Yeah. Do you feel like that 
you are the way you are because of that? Do you think that's part of it? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I do think mom and dad, that's an interesting example because from the outside looking in, right, there is a sort of public facing side of them. And yeah, yeah, especially yeah. when dad was playing that it was, he was a sort of the archetype of American athletic totally. success. Totally. You know, and, and there was, and mom sort of, you know, in many ways was, I think, you know, willingly, but also, you know, just had to kind of take on the role of uh, a conventional, supportive, stay-at-home totally. housewife. Totally. But, you know, knowing them as people, that the general distribution is not that yeah. straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> it is, you're right. I mean, it is absolutely, I mean, um, in terms of these stereotypically masculine characteristics, yeah, mom has a lot of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, things that culturally we associate with traditionally with with men. The the way mom operates is is um, again. These are also these characteristics are are really stereotypes. So I, yeah, yeah, I want to yeah. make sure it doesn't come across yeah. as like this is how women should be or men should no, be. No, totally, but totally. But these stereotypical traits that mm-hmm. we you know lead us to categorize people as one thing or another. I mean, I I think you're, to answer your question. I think absolutely that I, I sort of internalized that growing up that like, you know, there's there's a lot more ambiguity and flexibility. Yeah, and kind of like nuance. And too. nuance. Yeah. And if even if you identify as a, a man or as a woman or male or female, we're really there's a fluidity to this that um, from the outside looking in, you can't you can't always capture. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Well, I feel that way sometimes like, cause mom and I have talked about it where, and I mean, and I just said this, that Matt is definitely the more like, and I I mean, masculine, feminine, yin, yang, you know, there's always a balance between people who are together. I feel like, well, however you categorize it, but yeah, like mom and I have talked about it, about how I am more masculine than Uh Matt uh in uh a lot of ways, Uh even in stereotypical ways like sports. I tend to enjoy them more than Matt does, you know, things like that, that I think I was more comfortable Mm -hmm. kind of going into those because I had parents that were not stereotypically masculine, feminine, you know? For sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think you and I too, I mean, there are a lot of ways in which I feel like we are more similar than even me and some of my brothers. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I mean, even even appearance. I mean, there's there's always been true. It's sort of like everyone, you know, I remember growing up, it was sort of like, okay, well, you and Maddie are clearly related. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah. we don't know about you and Sean. Yeah. Like, you and Sean and the, your football brothers, we don't know. I mean, I guess you seem like Yeah, well, it's like when people, I feel like when people found out that you and I were siblings, it was like, oh, that's so, that's so cool. That makes sense. Yeah. But then when you're like, yeah, I also have two brothers who are in the NFL, people were like, what? <laughs> like, who who raised, like, half of you and who raised the other half? You know, but no, I definitely think you and I have a lot of similarities, but I never know why. And maybe yeah. maybe this is now, now this is making more sense, things like your, you know, maybe we've met in the middle of, yes. of kind of gender roles. Uh, exactly. Um, I think so. I yeah. Think so. Like, and I used to, I used to, if, the, if it's a spectrum, you know, same with Matt and I, uh, if there's a spectrum, you know, I'm over here on the, fe- I mean, n- nobody can see this obviously, but you know, I'm over here on the feminine scale. He's over here on the masculine scale. So we're really close, yeah. but in our yeah. respective genders, we're not like the other people that we interact exactly. with. Exactly. Gender identity is a, is a, is a real experience and it's yeah. a real thing that um, is a dimension of how we move through the world that, you know, is, is often a mystery to us until we start realizing like, Wait a minute! Like my experience of the world is is not at all similar 
to the other people that I get categorized with. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it, it, just based on my appearance or based on, you know, how I how I look. So I, I think that is true for, you know, and that I think these things can feel a little uncomfortable to talk about, but I don't yeah. think they're scary at all to say, because, you, you know, it's just, it's acknowledging what's true. Totally. These are just true things that I think you and I, if we're in a, a social setting, are going to have a more similar experience in the world yeah. in terms of like, how our brains and gender will be a big part of that, how we sort of interact, how we sort of operate. And totally. And I think, I think like in, in a lot of ways, when you give yourself a a lens, it limits what you're able to see. Like when you can open up your lens and say, I'm not going to only look through the lens of masculinity, you know, like the things that people expect me to, your world like explodes. Like you're able to see more people. Yeah. I feel like it makes you more empathetic, makes you kinder. I feel that same way with like the Mormon lens. You know, yeah. you give yourself one way to see the world and you limit yourself to being able to connect with 99.9% totally. of the world. What you're saying though, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think, you know, we aren't any just, we aren't ever just one thing, obviously. Yeah. I mean, identity is complex and, this is one thing Lord Birthday has taught me is that you may not even be the thing you thought you were. Yeah. I mean, for a long time. I mean, I was 35 thinking, you know, I'm a musician. I'm a serious sort of fiction writer. And then once you sort of strip away all these preconceptions and these narratives about who you are, and that's what I did by being anonymous. And I just sat down and I was like, okay, let me just see what emerges when there's nothing else, like what is in the core of me that is not kind of filtered through all these expectations about who people think I am, yeah. how I appear socially. Let me just see what comes out. And that what came out was it was it was I told you that it was, you know, I knew it was probably going to work, but it was really surprising to me what came out because I'd never yeah. drawn anything. I'd never actually tried to write in that voice. Yeah. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what was happening, but it just started working. I think because it was a true voice that you could hear, it like felt alive because it wasn't getting filtered through all these assumptions I had about myself or like, totally, it's got to be this way because I, I've been told that I'm this kind of person my whole life. And yeah. I think this naturally leads to questions about identity of all kinds because it, it you know, it can happen at any age. You yeah. can all of a sudden realize like, holy cow, like I am not exactly the person I was raised to believe I was. Yeah. And that's a stunning experience. Yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah. it is creatively really fruitful because then all of a sudden you're just like you're like i'm going through a personal tragedy but i got really good content yeah you're like this is scary and this feels like transgressive because i was taught that i need to be a certain way and this feels inappropriate but if you can find those kind of sparks like these moments where you have an opening or kind of a window into yeah who you actually are at your core and who you've always known that you are right if you can kind of go deep into that then i think it's really rewarding and it it is still scary i mean everything i make does feel a little bit like a little vulnerable it also feels surprising to me i mean there the book the most recent book all of those pieces felt i i didn't have an idea of what they were going to be i had topics Mm -hmm. and i just sat down and would see what came out and every time i was like that's weird. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Why is that what's coming out? Who is that about? 
what memory am I even referring to? So there yeah. was a kind of like that is I think how I try to make a lot of things and talk about these topics is to just try to be honest about like what is emerging. And I don't have a lot of language for it often. Like yeah. I don't know, even the stuff we're talking about now, I've never talked about this. Yeah. So I don't really know how to articulate it. I'm sure I'm doing it wrong, but you no, know what I mean? no, I know what you mean. And I want to talk about, um, okay. So in regards to, I mean, my, my audience, small, mostly from Utah, mostly grown up either in the church, have the, having their own experiences with the church. And yeah. what I always think is that Mormonism isn't something that you kind of wake up and you're like, I don't think I'm going to be a Mormon anymore because it's so in every part of your roots, of your personality, of your identity, of your habits, of your age, you know, like it's in everything. And so when I was like, you know, 18, 19, I'd like just moved out and I was living with friends. I thought there was like a blueprint for life, you know, for like a good, happy life. It was all perfectly laid out. All my friends were doing it. We were like following the correct steps or whatever that meant. And I wish that I could tell 18 year old me, it's okay if your life looks different than the people around you. But I think that's really scary for people, especially when you're in Utah and everybody's life seems to kind of be going in the same direction. So to have that experience when you're 35, like, oh, my identity is not what I thought it was. Yeah. Do you feel like it came on at once? Do you feel like it was like one one year of your life that, you, that everything kind of shattered? Yeah. You know, your illusion of yourself shattered? Or do you feel like you look back on your younger self and there were like pieces of, of this version of you there? Oh, yeah, that's that's an amazing question. Um, yeah, let me think. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, the first thing you mentioned, um, you know, I did get that question a lot too or have gotten that about you know, you said you're Mormon. Are you still Mormon? It is hard because I almost don't know how to what that question yeah. means. Well, I put like, a question up on my Instagram. Uh, I was just curious about people. What percentage? What percent Mormon are you? Oh, you know, I, see, I wanted. I, see. I wanted to know like how people because it's also not really one of those things where it's like you can be 25 percent Mormon. Right. You know, it's not. It's not really acceptable to be that way. Well, that's what I mean. Like when they say, are you still Mormon? I'm kind of like, how would I not be? Yeah. I mean, there's that's a different question yeah. than are you actively going to church? But like being raised Mormon, especially being a missionary at that formative time. I mean, I yeah. was like, a, yeah, I was 19. I'm... I'm I mean, I looked like I was 11, but I was <laughs> a child. Yeah. You know, and yeah. to learn Japanese at that age, it does make a deep imprint on your brain. This is a whole other topic about how that has shaped Lord Birthday because there yeah. is really a strong influence of sort of the relationship between Japanese and English that yeah. like comes out in the sort of broken way that Lord Birthday writes English. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, which... Um, so there, there's sort of memories of Japanese that are in, like syntax that are embedded in how I r- write yeah. English also. But um, yeah, let me see. What was the second part of that question? I was So c- do you feel like in the, like when you were 18, 19, when you were like 100% Mormon on a mission? Yeah. Did you feel any sort of resistance to that at that age? So th- I think, okay, uh, this is something I've thought a lot about because... Mormonism, from my experience of it, I think is gonna is different, quite a bit different from other people I know my age, especially people who grew up outside of Utah and had to kind of be defenders of the church. Right. And they were like, you know, one of the only Mormon in their school. Mm-hmm. I was that way. I mean, I was that was me until I was like fourteen. 
But I had a very different experience because um, because of dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was known as Dale Murphy's son way before I was known as being Mormon. So I had a sort of like social experience where I was looked at for being Dale Murphy's son. Mormonism was sort of an, a secondary sort of supplement mm. to Dale mm-hmm. Murphy. Mm-hmm. You know, he was known for who he was. Being Mormon was a big part of that. But it wasn't like... Here's kind of the the weird Mormon kid who can't drink Coke. Yeah. <laughs> here's like here's Dale Murphy's son who still can't drink Coke and we don't know why. <laughs> yeah. So Mormonism for me it it has been you know not going to church starting yeah in 2015 and leaving and being inactive from you know I haven't been since then. I don't have a it's not as if there's been like a massive internal spiritual change in me because the church for me was um, sort of always a vehicle for spiritual experience, but it was not an identity for me in the same way. Interesting. It wasn't like I was, I never felt strongly identified with it to the point, you know, I, I, I think my beliefs in it have certainly evolved over time and become more, uh, gosh, metaphorical, mm-hmm. or you know, a lot of the ideas that um, I maybe took literally that that has shifted in a lot of ways. But I didn't go through. You know, I've had a lot of friends, um, family members, people close to me who've had a real, just sort of deep, uh, you know, shattering that's happened yeah. that after leaving. So there is a there's a strange way in which uh, for me it. it it has been just a different experience, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's it sounds like it's been more uh, like peaceful, maybe. Well, maybe I mean, peaceful? yeah, kind of. I mean, uh, not as turbulent, or do you, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, there's been a lot of turbulence in terms of relationships because yeah. of it. Um, yeah, and you know, when you're closely connected to people who are strongly identified with it, and they leave, that is an entirely different kind of trauma that they go through. So so there's been a lot of turbulence, but I think internally for me, personally, it was more of a a kind of opening up as opposed to a destruction. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So it was less, yeah, I guess that's what I mean. It was less like, I don't know who I am now. Yeah, because I was still Dale Murphy's son. Yeah, 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 yeah. It would be akin to... Uh, for me, it would be if, you know, mom came to me at 35 and said, you were adopted. Yeah. You're not Dale Murphy's son. That would be like... I think that would be similar to what I've seen a lot of friends go through who were strongly identified as Mormon. It was how they were known. They were treated as Mormon their whole life. Yeah. And then they lose their faith and all of a sudden they're like, I can't even make sense of the world anymore. You know, the church does such a good job of of creating kind of a predictable, um, you know, sort of, let me think how to explain it, sort of a family unit yeah. that is very well kind of defined. A, a layout, yeah. You've got a template. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got these sort of like markers of sort of like these rituals to kind of mark the t- time. Yeah. and Yeah, when you're eight and when you're 12 and when you're right. 16. And, yeah. and like you sort of your development as like a young person. Uh, the church is sort of like really sort of refine that in a way that's hard to replicate. I mean, it's it's if you fit that template, um, it's a fantastic yeah. kind of like experience, right? I mean, for the most part. Uh, it, again, that's the assu- assumption there is that it like it works for you, then it's really going to work. Yeah. Uh, 
if it's not working for you for whatever reason, then yeah, that's a that's a really difficult thing. Yeah. And um, I think that has been really hard. That's been really hard to figure out because, you know, as a parent, uh, the church um, in, in its expectations and also theology really structures the nature of your relationship with your kids. Like mm-hmm. everything you're doing as a parent is is sort of given a certain kind of meaning based on how the church teaches about families, what the nature of families are. Mm-hmm. So you leave and you all of a sudden that whole meaning framework is gone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that has been hard. Like as, a, as a father, how do I relate to my sons? I mean, you're kind of taught a lot of stuff about the nature of your responsibilities as a father in the church. I've, you know, I've tried to kind of carry on, I think, you know, some of the the values and principles that seem to work but yeah gosh it is it's it's uh it's confusing it's really confusing (laughs) yeah because you're like okay now i'm in a new world here where you know the the kids aren't going to youth activities they don't have leaders that you know you can kind of outsource some of this as a parent in the church yeah (laughs) okay i don't know how to talk about some of these topics so let me just like i'm gonna go do a pamphlet yeah give it to them yeah or i'll have Hopefully they're talking about that in youth group, you know, and so it is a different kind of like DIY, like yeah. choose your own adventure sort yeah. of parenting experience. <laughs> yeah. And um, we're trying to get better, trying yeah. to get better at it, but it's hard. It's really yeah. hard. Well, and that you guys have been living, because I feel like a lot of times I hear about, you know, like my friends here who have left the church or whatever, and they're raising kids. They're like, yeah, my kid's you know, all their friends are Mormon, so they go or whatever, but you've been living in Oregon. So it's also, then you have yeah. that aspect where it's like not your, com- your whole community isn't Mormon. Right. So like right. if you lived here, then your whole community is Mormon. It's like, you can kind of pick up whatever you want, right. <laughs> you know, right. but when you're in a different state, it's like, well, I can't. Yeah. Anyway, you, you it's get been really hard. I mean, Oregon, you're right. That, that's a big piece of it too. Cause you think, you know, you're leaving the church. This gets back to the, to the question of like, when people ask, are you Mormon? Yeah. I'm kind of like, well, I'll probably always be Mormon because, you know, that's, it's such a, you think, you know, I'm going to leave and I'm going to, we're going to be kind of like normal people, yeah. like regular secular people. And yeah. then you get out there and you realize, holy cow, no. Yeah. You're like, wait, where? I'm, I'm fundamentally shaped by this experience yeah. in a well, way. Well, and it's like in your, de- I mean, we are like, like our ancestors are Mormon, you know, yeah. they're like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like in, deep. Yeah. It's like not one thing that you're just, yeah, like I said, you don't just wake up and say, never mind. Uh, yeah. I'm like, just not going to do that anymore. I mean, I, I had a very brief phase of trying to trying to do some of these things like that would signal I'm like a regular secular person. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I'm gonna, like alcohol. I think that's like pretty cool. Like, yeah. I, I know how to do that. And, <laughs> I know uh, how to alcohol it up. I'm going to do some of the alcohol <laughs> and I'm going to, you know, other substances like, no, I'm, I'm like, I, I, this is cool. Like, I yeah. get it. Like, I'm like current and like, yeah. I understand the world. And no, I mean, it was very obvious to me from the beginning. Yeah. That, like, you're not designed. This doesn't really interesting. work yeah. in your brain. Yeah. That it's know? almost like even if you don't, you know, because people can get into the nitty gritty of like, oh, do you, well, do you agree with this? You agree? With this? Probably yeah. not. But yeah. like your structure, like your skeleton is Mormon still. That's you know? right. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know if you're uh, caught up on Real Housewives of Salt Lake. Oh, uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> No, but there's there's this uh, there is this one cast member Heather, and she's she had a Mormon stories episode. But in one of the episodes, she's like, I don't like being called an ex Mormon because my heart is Mormon. You know, like she's yeah. like I still identify with it a lot, even though 
like the the specifics of it are not a part of my life at all. Yeah. You know, but yeah. it's hard. Yeah, it's just not one of those things that but I just I I do always wish that people I mean and this is like this is not something that I could ever change on my own, but I always think about kind of my audience and the people who listen to this and I think so many people want permission to be to carve out a space for them somewhere, even if they disagree with all of it, but they can still identify and still have kind of like that piece of their heritage almost yeah, and have permission to do that, to identify with 25% of it or to identify with being a Mormon, but not having to uh, agree or, right. or be a part of everything. I just think is powerful. Sure. And it's what, it's what I wish younger, you know, girls knew too, because I feel like with me, like I, I thought I was just supposed to be a mom. You know, that was right. like kind of all I was supposed to be. But now I'm like, oh, I think I can I think I can be more too. I wish I had told myself all that all those years ago. Like it's cool if it doesn't look like the people next to you. Yeah, absolutely. What, what would you tell your younger self? Well, I, I yeah, I would I think that everything you said is spot on and uh really important to kind of like hear as soon as possible because I you know, when you grow up in a, it, the church is, you know, the Mormon church is kind of a totalizing experience. It's a total institution. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in reality, there are different domains here, right? There's the culture of the church. There's the institution itself. There's the like the, the organization Yeah, like itself. the office buildings. Yes, yeah. the corporation. And then there's the theology yeah. and like the spiritual experience of, of kind of like living in a particular, with a particular kind of like, set of spiritual commitments and but when you're living when you're in it they all get combined or you sort of assume yeah you, you can't see the difference between them yeah and so this hold on i just want to yeah. give you that because this is so interesting because matt and i call it we call it our unbraiding process because mm-hmm. you know we've got three strands of it we've got the the yeah just like you said the theology the culture and then for us it's almost like what we were taught at home yeah you know we've got those three things and we're like in the process of separating those things like, wait, is this part of that? Or yeah. like, se- because right now it's all one rope. Right. You know, it's like right. all of this. So kind of separating those things. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's that's a hard thing to do, but it's an important one because then you can figure out, okay, you know, like m- most of my concerns and disagreements and, and real problems in, in many cases, and they're legitimate problems, they have to do with the institution. Yeah. You know, the way it's, it, it's managed or different policies that are yeah. put out. You're like, this is unethical and wrong yeah and um that's one thing and then you may have some cultural assumption or expectation especially if you live in utah that you've internalized about how you should be as a person or the kind of life that you should have Mm -hmm. that you know you want to attribute your your righteous anger to the right target yeah i guess (laughs) your righteous indignation yes and if you know in the theology space or the spirituality of it or, or the sort of like the doctrine you're going to have major concerns there too. But yeah. I, I don't know. I do think it's healthy to be able to separate those out and totally. say, what is my real problem here? And can I continue being a participant in this institution given where my what my problem yeah. assortment looks like? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But a lot of cases... You know, you're just sort of confused. You don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. It's just like everything It feels oppressive. And um, I'm not, you know, often you make decisions on the basis of like, I just, all of it's terrible. Yeah. But, I, you know, moving forward, I think, you know, that it's just kind of not true that anything is going to be 100% yeah. just um, sort of uh, destructive. There's going to be something in there that is going to, 
I, I don't know. I guess I'm just saying, like, you know, I, I guess I'm learning this in therapy, too, that, like, it's good to be honest with yourself about the things that you can take from past experiences that either you still believe in or that are good, that are good values that are important to you still, and to be able to say, you know, sort of deconstruct, um, you know, why things played out for you the way they did. Yeah. Um, and um, I was talking to mom. Mom and I had a conversation the other day, and I was like, I just want – I'm, I'm, I want to add stuff, you know, and I think that in the church, you know, you're told one true church thing, you know, yeah. this is the only place that you can get your information. This is the only place you can get your beliefs. This is the only lens, you know, you can look through to see the world. And like, it's a, it's a great lens for a lot of people. And a lot of parts of that lens are good, but I want like, I want more of them. You know, I'm not yeah. saying let's get rid of this one. And I yeah. think a lot of people that listen to the, or that I've, you know, interacted with or that follow me or whatever, they're like, I don't want to get rid of it all. Like yeah. I, I like a lot of it. There's a lot of it. I really, really want, you know, I pray this way or I do this, you know, I just want to add stuff too. I yeah. want my kids to experience more than this one. I mean, just kind of what we've been talking about the whole time. I want my kids to experience more than just the, the, lens i had absolutely and yeah. and i also yeah back to the other thing i was saying i think it's uh the one true church thing i think it's good to ask yourself critically like what what do you mean by church when you say that right like you may legitimately believe that our theology is you know better than other christian churches it's it's more hopeful it's more inspiring it's more correct but you may believe the institution is completely backwards yeah you know or is like yeah. going the wrong direction yeah. in every sort of decision it makes and then you may believe the culture is completely oppressive or homophobic or it's and but see these are separate domains that yeah. like when you say it's it's the true church we we tend to assume that we're talking about all of it yeah but yeah. I think, yeah, more nuance in all of these things would be a lot more helpful for everybody. Yeah, a lot more helpful. I just think that there's more empathy in that space when you can see, like, and I, I talk about this a lot on the podcast or whatever, that as I've gotten older, I've been, like, totally fine being completely wrong about yeah. everything. You know, like, I just don't assume that I'm right about pretty much anything. Yeah. But it yeah. makes it a lot less shocking when you're confronted with things that, you know, you thought were right but now they're wrong or whatever yes and just kind of getting comfortable in that and i think i mean i still work on it obviously every day but you know i do feel like i'm i'm more empathetic to people because i'm like yeah i'm i'm probably not right to be honest yeah. you know that's but it's, huge it's it's hard and weird but you didn't answer what i the last thing what would, what you would tell a younger version of yourself I mean, I maybe you did answer it, but it was it was a younger a version of myself about yeah. um, about your career. Like, if you were to visit younger you, and about your path and everything, religion, family, career. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Let him know. Uh, this is gonna be a big conversation yeah. for this little guy. <laughs> um, okay, I'd probably say. Something to the effect of, but this is kind of relates to what you just said about like uh, assuming th that you're wrong, you know, that you don't necessarily know <laughs> the right answer. I'd probably say um, you're probably going to end up doing something different than you think you are. You're probably a different person than you've taught, you you've been taught that you are. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so, so to be open to discovering new things about yourself. Yeah. I think that... That's what I would recommend is like to to not, 
you know, hold as tightly to these narratives that you're going to be given about who you are and how you should be. And to realize that that change and discovery is is actually the, the nature of things. Yeah. And, and I think um, we, that's not a very natural human impulse to be open always to change and something being very different than what you expected. Mm-hmm. Usually my impulse is to try to keep things the same. Yeah. You know? And I think in the church that was reinforced in a lot of ways. It's mm-hmm. like you know, eternal families, like, let's just keep everything basically the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But elevated a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I think change and discovery felt kind of frightening mm-hmm. because it's like, well, what does that mean if I'm, if I end up somewhere I didn't expect? Yeah. Um, but I think that's what it would probably be is like, you know, that's the only way you get anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> is by being open to, to being something very different than than maybe how you defined yourself up to that point. I know a lot of people who have never been able to do that, even at my age. Like they they are the same person, or they believe they're the same person they were when they were in high school. Yeah, and it's hard to watch because there's there's no progress. Yeah, there's no there's no accomplishment. They, mm-hmm. they, there's no feeling of success because I think everybody has something that they're uniquely good at. And I, I really do believe that, that there's a sort of like genius that everybody has that um, they they probably, if they haven't found it, it's because there's a narrative they've been given that's kind of obscuring it. And, yeah. that, you know, um, or they're afraid to look and they're yeah. afraid to like let go of a relationship or a self-conception or something that is kind of keeping them stuck in this version of who they are. And I think um, that's that to me feels like the the key, you know, to all yeah. of it. From the, from the mouth of our Lord, <laughs> Amen. Our Lord birthday, Amen. Uh, no, but I can only imagine how many people really do really do need to hear that and be open to change, myself included. So, well, well thanks yeah. for uh, coming on. You're the first the first family member besides mom, and the first male besides my husband. So, okay, you've uh, you've broken some new ground for the bad broadcast. Groundbreaking, but, yeah. Experience. But, thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, and thanks, Chad. Also, just say yeah. Congrats on doing the podcast and and all the discovery that's uh, going in well, uh, to this for you it's too. A- it's really fun to to see, and I hope it's um. And uh, I think you're, you know, intrinsically gifted at all of this. So keep going. Don't really stop. Keep complimenting me. No, just kidding. (laughs) All right. Well, Chad is uh, on Instagram. It's Lord underscore birthday, I think. I mean, I can't imagine that anybody listening hasn't seen it, posted about it, whatever. But uh, goodbye, everybody. Okay. Okay, (laughs) Okay.